Okay, well, um, <laughs> this is Jonathan Martin's podcast <laughs> and also uh, Johnny Clark's podcast. And uh, we're kind of talking together and we can't figure out who's kind of meant to be taking the lead in this conversation. No, this is perfect. This is so much better because I think when people are used to this southern drawl and twang, how refreshing it must be to hear this lovely lyrical Irish accent to open. Yeah. Like, that's the right way yeah. for the Zeitcast to open yeah, well, right that, there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the only problem is I have this funny kind of New Zealand, mid-Atlantic Irish accent. So That's true. So it is a bit of a hybrid, uh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I never quite... No one can ever figure out where I'm from, so... Um, so why don't I I'll introduce you for people listening to me so for those who listen to the Guardians of the Flame podcast um, you I did interview Jonathan um, uh, a few months ago six months ago a great podcast go back and listen to that it's really good um, and we listened we recorded that in a quiet room in a uh, you know right on the Irish border in a place C.S. Lewis said is his inspiration for Narnia and right now we're in the middle of an Irish field with a very loud worship band playing next door yes. and uh, hoping that we can hear each other. Um, so this is a bit of a noisier, um, but we're, we're relying on the excellence of Frasens uh, and his, his sound uh, expertise to, to cancel out a lot of that noise. So. Yes, we do have a sonic genius working, working <laughs> yeah, on we this do. here. So, so uh, for those of you who don't know, Jonathan Martin's a writer, a speaker, pastor, a tweeter, Instagrammer. Um, a, a peacemaker in his own way, a, a gentleman and a kind man, and uh, he's making waves, and he's a, he's a man of influence, and it's especially at a time like this. And so, I guess we'll get into that in some of the upcoming um, our upcoming conversation. Well, thank you for the very gracious introduction, my friend. That's really kind. And for those listening to the Zeitcast, uh, Johnny Clark um, it has become such a dear friend. Um, he leads the YWAM here in Northern Ireland, um, which is just a little bit outside Belfast, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, an outside, hour south of Belfast, yeah. Which is an absolutely beautiful spot. But, you know, um, it's one of the things that first drew me to you is, while we both have this deep history in terms of kind of Pentecostal charismatic culture, mm. all the work you've done around peacemaking, reconciliation, mm. nonviolence, the stuff you're doing as a filmmaker, mm. which I think is astonishingly good and powerful. Mm. And I just feel like, you know, it's like some people, t like, I feel like I'm an amateur with all those things. Like, I care about it. I care about the work. I'm a suit of the work. I feel like you're doing the work you, and you're training people to do the work. It's interesting, too, because uh, and I know we talked a bit about Malika Cox, um, our friend who's also on staff, like at the table. But truly, I have met people around the world who've been shaped by your work in Witness. Like, it's a really big deal. And I think it's like, um, beyond the fact that you're a lovely human being and I'm happy to be your friend, like, I'm so drawn to like, I just feel like you live at these really interesting intersections. Mm. And they're, they're interesting and also odd intersections, just like I do, where there's yeah. all these built-in tensions, you know? Yeah. Um, it's There's something I feel like very spirit-led about what you're doing. Um, but then, I don't know, I just think like the kind of space that you're occupying in the world and within the church, um, the bridges that you're attempting to build, mm. like all of that stuff is, are, are things I feel called to do and often mm. don't feel like I know how to do. So you're definitely one of the people like, I, and I'm on, on such a regular basis, I listen to your voice, uh, mm. I, your podcast, the stuff you're putting on social media and stuff, because I feel it's mm. so instructive to me mm. in mm. terms of just trying to find wisdom as to how to navigate this very complicated yeah. moment that we're yeah. in. So, And it is a complicated moment, I think. And we're, we were talking a bit earlier about like, 
I think that you and I both, uh, and, and I think a growing number of people right now are in this kind of interesting place of contradictions where in the old days it used to be simpler. There was right and left. There was a, easier to be a kind of dualistic. You're in or you're out. Yes. Um, and I think now uh, there's more and more people who have a, have a deep love for God. Um, they've been walking with, with God for years. And that's led them to be really fascinated with it led them to be really active in areas like justice and advocacy um, and in areas of reconciliation and peacemaking. And it sometimes puts us at odds with those who have been gone before us, who've been kind of like about elder figures. And when I think, uh, Jonathan, maybe I'll kind of put this to you to start with. Like, I think one of the, you must have said it at some point in a sermon or something, and I think somebody put it turned it into a meme and now it's you know, it's a really good one it's where you kind of said um you know if if god leads you to, if you're walking with god and he leads you to a place that's very you know far away from maybe where you started don't stop walking mm-hmm. don't judge what you were back then yeah. and don't judge the people that are still back there but keep walking that's my <laughs> my version of your what you said i can't yeah. remember exactly how you said it but I think for many people, that's where we're at right mm-hmm. now. We we've we feel like we're in a place we have never we haven't been this way before. Yes. To put it in a biblical language, we haven't been this way before, and we're not sure mm-hmm. who's been this way. And we're looking for guides, and suddenly we realize I wouldn't say we're the leaders, but people are looking to us to lead, and you don't. I don't really want to be the leader of anything. Nope. Uh, we, you kind of want your former leaders to be the leaders, but they don't—they're not there yet. They're, they've gone in a different direction, and so how how do you kind of navigate that? How do you kind of unpack that that quote a little bit, or my paraphrase of what you said? Well, it was, it was a good paraphrase, and it's something. I mean, it just comes out. It's an idea I'm just grappling with a lot because there's the sense of the God of the Exodus is always on the move. I think to even attempt to follow Jesus is never static. You're not standing still. It's, you know, but there, there is this tension that's here because I feel like, especially when I thought like this is a story I hear a lot, the people maybe who've taught you how to listen to the Holy Spirit, the people who taught you about prayer, the people who helped you develop this fundamental connection with God, then you learn to listen to that voice or you try to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to be obedient. You're trying to be faithful to what you feel like God's calling you to do. And what does it look like when trying to be o- obedient to that voice in the present causes offense to people who've been really influential in, in your past? You're almost this place of saying, hey, you know, the only reason I'm here is because y'all taught me to listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, it just, because I do feel like there's even that wonderful verse in the old testament the prophets like i think god always wants to bring the hearts of you know fathers and sons and mothers and daughters like together i think that reconciliation is like is really important but at the same time you know i do think there are real ways in which uh especially right now it seems like to use the word generation a certain way sounds very charismatic and i'm almost suspicious of it but it's the best way i know how to put it like I do feel like there, there, there are these voices among like younger generations that really are called to carry some things forward where maybe their elders just weren't willing to go, which doesn't make, which doesn't minimize who they are, or what they've done. Mm. And that's, that's, I think part of what is, I, I was attempting to speak to then is mm. like, 
okay, you don't have to abandon everything about where you were. You don't have to throw up a middle finger. Mm. Um, it's okay to honor the past. It's okay to honor your elders. But at the same time, if the Spirit's drawing you, mm. you have to keep walking. There yeah, are some yeah. trails right now that I think just have to be blazed. Mm. And um, especially if the only reason we don't walk some of those is because we're afraid of rejection mm. by some of those spiritual mother yeah. and father figures. I think that's the hard thing is the rejection that some would feel. Because um, I don't think our generation has a trouble. Well, maybe we do. But, you know, I don't necessarily personally have a problem with honoring my father yeah. and mother, yeah. either my literal one or my spiritual fathers sure. and mothers. I, I honor them gladly. But sometimes when we start to talk about our relationships with like, with um, the LGBT community yes. with um, issues around modern day politics like Brexit or Trump or whatever suddenly it's, it does feel like those relationships have been uh, they're becoming a lot more tense and um, I, I think I was re recalling the fact that my um, my grandparents were actually kicked out of the Brethren Church in New Zealand because uh, they embraced the charismatic renewal oh interesting and so my mom and her, her mom was, she was a widow at the time. They were kind of read out of the church, you know, mm. they were kind of, the names were read out and they had to literally get up and walk out of the church and they were not allowed back in, you know, and, and they stopped. And like a lot of the people in that church would have stopped talking to my mom and my grandmother, you know, and, and I realized that that's kind of in the, they're just, we do this a lot, you know, we, we kind of, um, we kick out our children and our yes. grandchildren and then, yes. and of course, my mom's generation in New Zealand in the f 50s and 60s and the same thing was happening over here in Northern Ireland uh, you know you had this generation of people growing up that didn't have necessarily the fathers and mothers that were walking with them spiritual fathers and mothers they kind of had to make it up as they went along and kind of go it alone and and no one ever should have to do that we're, right. we're not made to kind of have to I don't think so it, it's, a, it's a hard place to be sometimes where we're at right yeah. now in this moment yeah, I mean, because I feel like so many people, and I'm like you, I, I mean, I, I could not be more reluctant to, I don't want to lead anything, man. Like, I really don't, you know? I feel like there's been so many times where it's like, I just want to be a guy, I don't feel qualified to whatever. But it does seem like there's such a vacuum, and I feel like, um, because people do crave elders. They want fathers and mothers in this way, and but when you feel like, the house you grew up in was uh, is a little bit too small, and as you the, the way you put it, I think is is maybe the most apt when you feel pushed out. Because mm. I feel like which I, I feel like that's often how it goes. Is I feel like it's not even so much like this aggressive like trying to make space for change. It's often like mm. oh no, like any way of thinking differently about there's just, there's no room for you here. Mm. And um, I know at least where I'm coming from, and you know I'm never a legalist about how people experience. Mm church or whatever but at the same time it's like I do know at this point I feel called to help create some kind of space for people on the inside you know mm. I'm I'm happy for people I think there's all kind of ways to experience God outside the church and I celebrate that there's no judgment there or mm. pressure or anything like that but it feel I feel called to contend for space mm. for people to be able to remain in mm. and you know mm. and I think some of course that involves taking some some hits sometimes but to me that just that just feels important mm. that uh, especially for generations younger than us that they feel like they do have a place at the table that they do feel like um they have a part in this story somewhere mm. you know mm. yeah 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 
And one of the things that you've talked about, I wonder if you could flesh out it a little bit, is uh, what's this phrase you call being uh, in the in-between but not the middle? Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? You know, where that, I don't want to get preachy with this, but <laughs> where that actually came from is about a little over a year ago, um, I felt really led to reread this story in Kings and it's Elisha. It's an Elisha story. I think it's a great Elisha story because there are a lot of wonderful stories about prophets, but I don't think they're all equal in terms of how much they illumine the broader prophetic task, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. as a Christian, what I would think of is kind of like in a way that sort of prefigures Jesus. And because, you know, I, cause I know you've got stories of prophets where, you know, like, you know, <laughs> bears are mauling kids and like all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of how I really understand the prophetic task, there's that weird and wonderful story with Elisha where the king of Aram is uh, going to war with the people of God. And, you know, um, Elisha keeps following his plans because, you know, whatever the, the, the king's next move is going to be, Elisha hears it from the Holy Spirit and he warns the king of Israel what they're going to do. So they keep out maneuvering him. So finally, um, they're on to him. They go and surround the city and they go to get Elisha. And, you know, and there's, there's a lot of wonderful things about that passage, you know, where Elisha and his assistant uh, kind of look out. They see the city surrounded mm. and, you know, his servant's afraid. But Elisha has this whole word of, you know, that there are more of us and there are of them, which you've got to think like is like, oh, uh, you know, that sounds encouraging, but actually like I'm looking out the window and I don't, I've seen the data. Like, I don't really think there are more of us than there are of them, but apparently this is not people because there's like this, this whole account of like chariots of fire that are actually surrounding them. But what I love so much about that story, and this is where that phrase comes from, is that ultimately, um, God strikes the, uh, the Arameans to become blind so that they kind of stumble away and then the king of Israel wants to kill them. And Elisha says, oh, no, no, like, we, we, can't, we can't kill them. We're going to feed them. Mm. And they give them a feast, and they send them on their way, mm. and everybody lives. Mm. And to me, it's just this powerful image mm. of, okay, yes, Elisha technically is a representative of his own people, mm. uh, but, but there's something else going on there. Like, Elisha isn't just kind of standing between um, Israel and the king of Aram, like, it's more like here's this prophet who's standing in this it's not a middle but he's in this in-between space like the prophet standing against between all these people and their own propensity mm. towards self-destruction mm. <laughs> that's mm. the space the prophet's in mm. like uh everybody's peace is at stake here mm. not just the peace of his own people this mm. isn't about some kind of like mm. uh tribal or or familial kind of identity like known like the it's broader than that. And to mm. me, it became such a powerful image of thinking about how I feel like ideally uh, God calls the church, especially this time with even thinking about the environment, there's like, like mm. standing, standing in between the world and her own tendency towards self-destruction. Mm. So not like in, I feel like standing in the middle becomes a way of saying like, oh, we're going to be moderate. We're going to play mm. it safe. Mm. To, to stand in the in-between mm. means you're going to get shot at. You're going to be misunderstood. Like you're intentionally kind of being in the war zone mm. um to, to me to me there's such a difference between being in that that kind of prophetic in between mm. than being in the middle because mm. you know being in the middle has a you know like i don't know like especially now in the states right now all the issues we're dealing with around white supremacy and white national i'm like okay like i'm not 
I don't think we should meet white nationalism halfway. Mm. Like racism and non-racism. Mm. Like let's meet in the mm. middle. Well, no, that doesn't work. Yeah, you know? moral equivalence. We can kind of say, you know, there's good guys on both sides. That's you know? right. It's okay to say, no, somebody's doing something wrong, you know? That's Speak right. it out, yeah. There is, there is no middle there that I mm. want to find. But I think in terms of, like, being in an in-between, mm. oh, yeah. Like, that's exactly where mm. let's Let's get in between mm. in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. That, and, and that's a very, I would say, one of the, uh, um, our inherent flaws in the kind of the charismatic Pentecostal movement is we do want to, or evangelical, whatever, we do want to sometimes create moral equivalency. We do yes, want to kind of, yes. we, we find it difficult. I mean, it's that kind of old story. Was it Billy Graham kind of saying to Martin Luther King, you know, can you just tone it down a wee bit? You're causing a bit too much trouble. And I think mm-hmm. Billy Graham probably meant well. You know, sure. he kind of saw a bit of disunity in the churches and he saw Christians fighting a wee bit. And he was like, maybe, you know, M- Martin Luther King, just, you know, don't be so outspoken. You know, I remember, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, seeing Desmond Tutu on TV. Mm. And I remember somebody saying he always looks angry. And it was almost this, yeah, wow. he must be somehow wrong because he's angry. Right. Not like he's angry against a system of systematic racial mm-hmm. oppression that is killing people. For, yes. And will continue to do so for generations. Yes. And, and yet, of course, those, most people who think of Desmond Tutu now, they don't think of an angry person. Yeah. They think of a joyful person. Oh, of you know? And even back then, I mean, he was. Um, but... But I think that is one of the one of the mm. things that we need to wrestle with. We, for you and I, who come from that kind of more Pentecostal or charismatic background, mm. is how do you? We're not always comfortable being that prophetic voice. You sure. know, you don't necessarily want to, and and sometimes actually there can be this instinctive sense of maybe that's wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how do you speak out? You know, how do you kind of, uh, you know, and, and and yet you know, it's, who was it who said? Was that Martin Luther King said, you know, people will remember, they won't remember the words of our enemies, they'll remember the silence of our friends. And so I suppose at this particular moment, over here in the UK and Ireland, and the growth of populism yeah. around the world, and kind of ideologies that accentuate a kind of a sense of eth- almost ethnic purity, which has very scary you know reverberations in history how do we how do we speak out i suppose one of the the the, where i come from in northern ireland i grew up here i moved here when i was nine our civil conflict started in 1969 when we had the largest proportion of evangelical churchgoers in western europe Mm. and yet in the midst of that high church-going country where we prayed in school i prayed almost every day in school you know i laugh at americans that you know want to pray in school i'm like to be honest it didn't do my friends much good you know Mm. (laughs) like whatever you know um uh, that really wasn't one of the markers of of you know their future Uh, but we had this we had this high church going attendance and yet we slipped into civil unrest and when I was a young kid and we'd go to church on a Sunday morning, nobody ever mentioned the troubles, which was the, what we referred to as our, our conflict. Um, it wasn't talked about. You know, there was one line in a prayer in the Anglican church I went to which said, Give peace in our time, O Lord. Wow. And that was it. Interesting. So it could have been the day after the Enniskillen bombing, you know, which Bono referred to in the Rattle and Home live album, you know. Um, that kind of talk he gave in the middle of Bloody Sunday. That was yes. that was the day or the day of the day after the Enniskillen bombing, where it was like 
In America, you call it Memorial Day. We call it Remembrance Sunday, where old age pensioners came out with their medals, polished up for the day, and a bomb went off and blew them up, you know? And in ch churches all over the country, there was silence. And, mm. uh, and of course, what I take from that is that, particularly evangelicals, um, we don't know what to do <laughs> with that. We don't know yeah. how to speak about injustice. Yeah. We don't know how to speak about peace. Yeah. We don't know how to speak about nonviolence, about reconciliation. It's that kind of it's like a foreign language to us. We know how to get people into heaven, but we don't know much about what to do with them here on earth, you know? And uh and so I think that's maybe where we're at a little bit yeah. all over the world right now yeah. is that there are people wrestling with how do we express our faith? And for some people they say this this faith thing isn't for me because it doesn't speak to what's going on. So I think the importance of people like yourself who really are in a gentle, kind way, but with with no doubt about where you stand, you're you're speaking out for what's right and what's wrong, uh, which is important, you know. Well, I so appreciate that, friend. I tell you, it's. I think one of the hardest things about it for me is that um, when you attempt to to talk about things that you know, I think really are dangerous and really are divisive and really are harmful and ideologies that are harmful and systems of oppression and injustice. It's just so interesting that I feel like the pushback always is that that's divisive. And I get, yeah. I'm always fascinated by that. To talk about things that I feel like are ripping us apart, mm. to name them mm. is divisive. Mm. To give the, that the ideology is not divisive. Those principalities are not divisive. But to speak about them is. Johnny, I really want to ask you, because I feel like, you know, you talked a little bit about the troubles in Ireland. And I know, like, what a student you are of the conflict of, you know, between Israel and Palestine and what a passion you have there. Um, you know, just in the personal conversation we've had today. Um, how shaped you were by your time in South Africa. Mm. Like, what, because I feel like you're, you've studied peace, you've thought about peace and peacemaking on this broader global scale uh, in a much deeper way, I think, than I have. When it comes to these kind of conversations within faith communities and within the church, and especially in this polarized and polarizing moment, what from what from what you've learned from all of that mm. what would you impart into this mm. moment and to like people of faith like mm. what, what what would you take from all that and that you would what have you learned from all that that you would speak into any of this yeah i mean it's it's interesting i think we somehow have to hold some of what is the best in our tradition as well as be prepared to go into new uncharted waters so for instance i think in the, in the kind of, again, if you're talking labels, evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, we talk about church unity a lot. Yeah. So reconciliation for that movement has often been about how do we as Christians model oneness, unity. John 17, Jesus said the world will know we're his disciples because we love one another, you know? And I think we do that well, and I think we do need to love each other. Um, but loving each other doesn't mean being silent, you know, yes. and we can't be silent, you know. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that we need to hate. We can't, you know, I'm just reading a book at the moment by a Gazan doctor, you know, whose mm. uh, daughters were, were killed in Gaza about over 10 years ago. And the book is um, I Shall Not Hate. Wow. 
And, uh, you know, and it's just so moving as he writes about his daughters, his hopes for their life, his hopes to go and... St his wife had actually just died of cancer. He was raising them on his own. He was a, he was a top surgeon and... Um, Suddenly, Israel invades Gaza, blows up his his uh, three of I think it's three of his daughters, and he's left. and And yet, he's a Muslim guy, and he says, "I'm not going to hate," you know. And I and I think we can do that. We can all do that. I think evangelicals can do that, you know. And that is definitely something to learn, you know. Like, hate is not what we need to get. Hating of people, you know. I mean that old. Bibli you know, if we want to be biblical, we, our war is not against flesh and blood, you know? We can learn something from an evangelical reading of Scripture that says we are not fighting human beings. But we are in a war, you know? And I, and I think that's what we have to kind of come up with. And I think as I have, you know, I did this documentary last year called Guardians of the Flame. Uh, and, it, and in it, I profile the lives of three victims of the Northern Irish Troubles who chose to live heroic lives uh, in response to what was done. Um, Eugene Reeve's three brothers were killed by, the, by uh, loyalist paramilitaries British and British soldiers. And that night, his, his mom, who was a very devout Catholic woman, she would light candles every night for different people, you know, mm. who were sick or who needed prayer. And she lit about, you know, eight or nine of these candles. And then she came to a tenth candle. And as her family were gathered around, hours after her sons had been killed, mm. she lit this candle and she said, this is for the people who killed our, our boys. And she lit a candle for the killers of her three sons every night wow. for the next 30 years of her life. Man. And, you know, and she was doing the same thing. She was not hating. She was mm. echoing the... Uh, the the voice of this Gazan doctor who says, I shall not hate. Mm. And there is something... That is the essence of what Jesus does on the cross, you know? He's, he's, he's hanging on a cross saying, I will not hate. But by doing so, you're fighting a battle, but you're fighting it not with the weapons that your enemy is fighting yes. with. You're fighting with love. You're fighting with self-sacrificial love. Mm. And, and I think we can talk all we like about theories of reconciliation and ways to do it. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to the old simple story of like Eugene's mom who lit a candle for the people who killed her sons or my friend Beryl who's also in the documentary who you know she um, she minutes after her husband was shot dead by the IRA um, was confronted with her need to forgive she started to say the Lord's Prayer and as she said it she got to the bit where it says forgive and this is like her, her husband is still dying literally on her front door and she starts to say the Lord's Prayer because she didn't know anything else to say. And she comes to the bit where it says, Father, forgive them, um, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And she said, Lord, are you asking me to forgive? And she felt she, that God was saying yes. Wow. And so she said, I choose to forgive, but Lord, I need you to help me, you know? Mm. And see, that's radical. Whatever you want to call that, that's that not, radical. you know, you can't label that as conservative yeah. or progressive or evangelical or post-evangelical. That's just good old-fashioned being like Jesus, yes, you know? Yes, it is. And that will go further than anything mm. else, you know? Um, so, I mean, I think those are the kind of the stories I think we need to hear. You know, I, I love Walter Wink. Mm -hmm. I love Greg Boyd. I love the way they talk about spiritual warfare yeah. as as a almost a kind of an opposite spirit war where yes. you know in a time of white supremacy and populism 
we fight with loving of the outsiders and loving of the little people and yeah. choosing not to just you know uh, fill stadiums but to fill a table of people you know mm. and just always say there's always room for one more you know I, Beryl who's, who I just talked about in, in my documentary she talks about days after her husband was shot she had a, a three year old daughter at the time He's a lovely girl, Gail, is a friend of mine, and 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 Gail was going to bed and saying her prayers, and and Beryl was praying, and and, and in the middle of Beryl's prayer, um, Gail interrupted her and said, "God, did you know bad men came to kill my daddy? Would you turn them into good men?" Mm. And there was just something about, obviously, the way Beryl was choosing to raise her daughter, days after her husband has been shot dead. Um, she's raising her daughter to care about the, the kind of at that time the eternal destiny of the people who killed her dad wow. you know and see for me that's like that's radical Christianity right there you know yeah. that's that's the that's what it looks like you know mm. I, I remember the first time we had Palestinians come and spend time with us in 2005 and Elias Halabi was one of them and Salim Anfus uh, and I know you know that area as well Bethlehem Beit Jala, Beit Sahur. And Ilya said to me, he, he grew up opposite Rachel's tomb where there's a big Israeli um, camp and it's where you kind of come into Bethlehem. He said, how do I forgive people when they keep hurting me day after day after day? You know, I can forgive them once, but then the next day there's still a big wall that separates me from my sister, you know? There's still an Israeli settlement on the land that belongs to my, my family. How do I keep forgiving? And I mean, I don't think there's any answers to any of this, but I think at the end of the day, it has to look like saying we shall not hate. Yeah. We will love. We're not fighting against this flesh and blood. We're, we're fighting against the, the principalities that animate the darkness. Yes. And we fight by using the weapons that Jesus gave us, which is love. And it's simple, mm. but it's very complicated. Yes, you know? yes. Um, Which leads me to this question, Johnny, like, especially when, when we are resisting these forces of hate that are, that are quite powerful. And then I do think, I, you know, I do believe in a kind of spiritual warfare. There are spiritual, there are spiritual dynamics that are, that are powerful. Like, how is it possible to, to oppose those things and resist those things and yet not take on the same sort of essential energy of the thing that we're resisting like how because it seems like that's always the the challenge is that it's almost like by by looking at that too long especially if you become obsessed with become consumed with it yeah. then even if in the name of justice righteousness peacemaking whatever that it become way too easy to sort of like try to sort of like pursue the right kind of ideals of, of justice but in that but in that same kind of spirit how do, how do we avoid kind of getting sucked into that mm. yeah I mean I, a friend of mine used to say and he used it in a different context but he said you know we have to if we want to overcome one desire one sinful desire we have to replace it with a stronger desire mm. you know and so if there becomes in us I think this utter, you know, an obsession 
sometimes you know at this time everyone's obsessed you know and i think social media feeds obsession and feeds outrage you know i wrote a blog once outrage porn you know this Mm -hmm. kind of uh, this almost this uh, this uh, you know unhealthy urge to kind of clickbait you know to follow the lead of the latest outrage we have to kind of somehow realize that um we need to have a stronger our strongest desire mustn't just be uh, as there, there must be something most pure must go for the most pure thing what is the most what can we be spending all of our energy on and to really go for that and i think for someone like desmond tutu in the midst of apartheid south africa the calling on his life was undoubtedly to speak out against injustice in his society that human beings were doing you know it wasn't just demonic powers were doing human beings were doing it so he had to speak truth but i presume he had to pray every morning Mm. and i presume when he did the best it was when those words of vehement truth-telling were coming from a deep place of encounter with God and encounter with with something other than himself. Mm. So his words were not self-focused. They were yeah. not full of himself. And you know, I think of that lovely um, phrase, Mother Teresa being asked, uh, you know, what does she say when she prays to God? And she says, I listen. Mm. And then the interviewer said, well, what does God say when you listen? And she says, he listens, you know, Mm. and I think that lovely kind of concept of that lovely idea of us listening to God, who's listening to us and we're in that place. And once, you know, and that that's contempt contemplation, that's that's a kind of a deeper that gives us the spiritual resources, I think, to then go from that place to to then speak out. But we're not speaking out because we want our voice to be told. We're speaking out because we've encountered We've been listening to the heartbeat of the one who's been listening to us. Um, and, uh, you know, I was on the radio last week. I don't often go on the radio, but it was local. And uh, this, she suddenly, she said, what is spirituality? And it was a five-minute interview. And I was like, my goodness, that's a deep question to ask, you know. And uh, But I think as I quickly tried to respond... My take was that spirituality has to involve both a connection to God and a connection to your neighbor. Yeah. You know, that's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart. Mm-hmm. Second commandment's just like it. Love your neighbor. True spirituality, true true speaking at this time in history has to be about connecting to God and getting that sense of our magnetic north and getting that sense of yes. that's our true identity is in Him. And then from that place going out and speaking truth and not holding back and Mm -hmm. speaking truth to the powers that be and um and knowing that he's on our side you know that the the chariots of fire you know are are with the truth you know and i think which feels to me much more like that more of us than there are of them feels much more like dr king's the moral arc of the universe is long but bent towards justice mm. like that that more mm. <laughs> there's a different weight there's a mm. gravity towards mm. love <laughs> mm. that the forces that are against love mm. and goodness don't have mm. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm. that's good yeah i mean it's interesting where 
where it kind of for us probably doing a good job with this sound so you can't hear it but there's very loud music playing next door we're in the middle of a very charismatic worship gathering which you've done an amazing job speaking at called um which is it's a really cool festival actually called open skies here in ireland um and some great players there's a local northern irish guy uh, ben hastings who wrote the song so will i you yeah know? and uh which is he sings it with hillsong united and uh so we're currently really getting in it <laughs> that, that drum and bass is we full. really are yes <laughs> yes i feel like um maybe we're not dialed in right i'm not sure there should be that we should be working with that in some way you know what i'm saying like it feels like soundtrack or something like this is like there's yeah. something the holy spirit's doing in this moment i don't know like there's kind of, kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. it does feel kind of epic you know to have yeah. that like <laughs> that powering like the drums kind of kicking us in the face right now while we're, <laughs> yes. we're having this conversation about yeah, justice and I peacemaking. Know, and <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I mean, I just want to say, I think, you know, the forces of polarization are spreading around the world. Yeah. And it's it can be, it can feel like we're in the middle of a dystopian, dark Netflix thriller or, a, mm-hmm. or an Orwellian novel. For you sure. Know? Um, and um, and we need truth at this time, you know. Yeah. And, and America needs it. And I I just want to affirm what you're doing, Jonathan, and just say you're a good voice. Mm-hmm. And um, and people around the world are, are hearing you and listening. And um, and let's kind of come together and rally together as much as we can around the world. And um, um, and not give up, not give in to cynicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, not to give in to narcissism. Yes. Um, not to give in to outrage porn, but to really love our neighbor, yes. speak truth, yes. um, to fight with the weapons that we have, which are the weapons of the opposite spirit, mm-hmm. uh, forgiveness, turning the other cheek, laying down our life for our friends and our enemies. And I think you're you're providing a real clear ca- clarion cr- call at this time, and mm. we need it. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's good to good to be with you and kind of have this chat you know, well, this time. Well, thank you for that, Johnny. I mean, I feel like, you know, again, I tinker with these things. I feel like this is stuff you're actually doing in real life on the ground. I know we need to land the plane, but if you don't mind me asking you one more question yeah, that's yeah, in the vein of it. all this, because it's come up a couple times. I feel like people ask me versions of this question, and I know what I'd say, but I really am grappling with this. Several times, even the last couple moments, we talk about, like, the importance of speaking the truth right now, especially in a time where it feels like there are these almost alternate realities uh that are you know these competing narrative which some of which i think are just just so false i think so many people are wrestling with how to use their own voices especially if you don't have some kind of a platform it's not your job but especially in the world that we live in for better or for worse everybody does have a bit of a microphone and i you know i feel like so many people are grappling with does it really matter what I say on social media, does it really matter like um, kind of how I put myself out there or even in terms of how they engage their own family and friends? So just like for people who are not in some kind of a vocation proper that involves um, peacemaking or full-time ministry or whatever, like what would you say to people in terms of like how they discern how to use their own voice? how to speak and when to speak because I feel like so many people are really struggling with that mm. yeah I think it's a un, it's an unprecedented time in history where um, 
yeah, social media does give us all some kind of microphone, and I know some people that just turn it off and don't speak, sure. and they really should. And there are some people, as we all know, that speak a lot and maybe shouldn't speak yeah, as much. Yeah. Uh, and I think, um, you know, I think if, if this was as, as bad as we could w imagine in our worst fears, you know, that, that this is really like an Orwellian movie we're in, an Orwellian novel, like, we're, you know, then we better not be silent, you know? Yes, um, yes. Uh, so so we do need to speak I think one of the things we need is community and I think one of mm. the uh, I think this is a time also in history where for lots of reasons we're more and more uh, we feel more and more alone you know yeah. more and more people feel isolated you know I remember you know there's a, a kind of a theory called relationism and mm. um, a guy from Cambridge uh, the Jubilee Center kind of pioneered this kind of idea of relationism he says you know we talk about for instance the continent of africa has been undeveloped mm -hmm. and where there's the developing world here in the west and the undeveloped world in africa and he said but there's been research done where for instance it, it had a guy pretend to be uh, dead in a shopping mall somewhere i think in england or america and it took about 45 minutes for someone to stop and see if this guy was okay and they did the same in a shopping mall somewhere in a township in South Africa. And it took about four and a half seconds for someone to stop. Wow. And he said, you know, in the West, we say we're, we're, we're developed and, and in Africa, they're undeveloped. But if you, look at it, if you look at humanity through the lens of relationship, in many ways in the West, we are, we're undeveloped. Yeah. We're isolated. We're alone. We need community. I mean, more and more, it's easy to get your sense of community from a podcast or sure. a Facebook group or, a, you know, and as I say that as we speak in, in a podcast, you of know, course. and the, of course, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Yeah. But I'd, I would say you need to use your voice, but you also need community. We all need community. And I, and I would, I suppose right now at this particular time, I would, uh, you know, say it's really key for people who are pursuing an authentic Jesus-like response to the times we live in to find a community of people to live in and the discipline of some sense of belonging to a church, you know, whether that's a Sunday morning or a Friday evening around a table or something, you know, um, I think there's need for community. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, was it Bonhoeffer said that if you love to be alone you've got to be able to be in community and yes. if you love community you've also got to learn how to be alone you know we need both and I think there's a tendency right now to either fill all of our time and attention with other people and things or there's a tension and a tendency to be isolated so I think we've got to we've got to find a way to do both mm. you know and so I think it's about finding your voice but it's also about finding your community you mm. know and we need that. We need new communities. You know, yeah. we need lots of them, um, all over the place. That's and that's so helpful because I feel like you know, as as important as it is to find your voice, if if we don't have a community where we have to love particular people in a particular place mm. and have to love particular people who are unlike us, you mm. know, I mean, that's mm. geez. Which I do think is one of the greatest dangers right now. It's so easy to just kind of like I don't know. Uh, it's like the internet can be one massive singles bar where people are just kind of congregate around their own interests. Mm. And you really don't have to love people who aren't like you. Yeah, you just don't. Yeah. The moment that you find out yeah. somebody is... Uh, it's a big echo chamber. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, disagrees with you on like whatever your mm. one point of your 
personal orthodoxy, then they're just, they're gone. Like you unfollow, unfriend, like whatever. So I think like it is just, in some ways it's more challenging, but more important than ever just to know what it is to love real people. Cause think also it it humanizes. And I find that to be true now in the opposite direction of all these things, because it's just, you know, at this point in my life, and again, I know, I know we need to be done. I just, I think so much about how, the kinds of people I would have been most suspicious of the way I grew up. Uh, now I feel the most comfortable with, like mm. I love being in the misfit table, like I'm there. Yeah. But now what I'm learning is like, you know, I can so easily justify my level of suspicion and defensiveness towards people that I perceive as being unloving, judgmental, like whatever else to where, mm. you know, I, yeah. I can kind of just do the same thing in reverse. Yeah. I can become so cynical yeah. towards them. And so not just not, not humanize them, not see the image of God in the mm. face of brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, and the Lord to where, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not grappling with their humanity either and i'm not being you know challenged to really uh, to figure out what it means to i don't know i just think that's a special challenge is what it, trying to figure out what it means to love people that we might perceive yeah. as being unloving yeah. or as being judgmental or we feel like they're part of the, yeah. of the problem in that way and yet that's yeah. still part of what this yeah. is to follow jesus yeah and i mean what is it bonhoeffer also talked about that in uh, life together you know that those who love their their vision of community more than the community itself will kill yeah. community, yes. you know? Um, and it's almost like, we, you know, for many of us, we can have this this kind of perfect utopian view of this lovely community you want to be a part of. And then you're encountered, you're faced with human beings yeah. who have all the flaws that we all do yeah. and may have differences of, of opinion at this mm-hmm. most polarizing time in human history. Mm-hmm. And surely there should be something radical about the fact that we're able to choose community in the midst of that and choose love and yes uh, and that's hard to do it's hard but we can do it you know yeah yeah man that's so good well johnny thank you for embodying this in all the ways that you do and for because uh, i feel like this is all very incarnational you're always uh, working these things out you're always enfleshing these things and that's super inspiring to me and you know to what you said before yeah i think it's time for us to come together and uh, we've got to figure out because and and I don't know if I'm more comforted or frightened by this because for so long a lot of things I got so used to feeling like America's just this really unique beast and really realizing at this point on a global scale it's it's kind of all the same issues that we're dealing with Mm. you know whether it be the various forms of white nationalism Mm. the populism you talked about Mm. I mean it comes in different waves and different Mm. expressions but it's essentially the same kind of Mm. forces that we're contending with and in that regard I feel like we have so much more in common in terms of our hopes and dreams and fears than we than we think we do mm. and you know mm. it, that's where I think conversations like this are so important right now so thank you for being willing to have uh, this kind of conversation with me thank you Jonathan yep and likewise and uh, and thanks to the musicians who have provided the soundtrack to <laughs> yes, this, this evening and uh, yeah they raised the stakes yeah they, they raised the stakes in this company it feels very epic in yeah here right it does now. <laughs> it feels like Braveheart or something yes yeah, it, does. Yeah, it does so yeah thanks Jonathan for being here coming to Northern Ireland uh, a, a cold rainy uh, Northern Ireland, and um, but it's uh, it's good. You got to oh, warm I love heart. it. Yeah. yeah. I, okay, I have to ask, because I want folks who are checking out the Zycast, Guardians of the Flame. How can people access it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a, we have a podcast, which is you just look up Guardians of the Flame, and then uh, at the beginning of September we're going to be selling the film online, so you'll be able to stream it. Uh, so just go to guardiansoftheflame.org, I think. 
<laughs> it comes from a quote from Jonathan Sachs that religion is like fire and like fire it warms but it also burns and we're the guardians of the flame mm. and so the hope is that this will be a series of documentaries looking at areas of conflict where religion has been an important part of the narrative of the conflict mm. and I'm trying to profile voices who don't give a two-dimensional view of, of, of healthy religion but a complex beautiful uh, a glimpse of what true Jesus-like faith can look like in the midst of horrible war. So our next episode will be in Lebanon oh, and South awesome. Africa, Israel, Palestine, etc., etc. But it's going to take a while. But our first one's Northern Ireland. So, oh, so yeah, GuardiansOfFlame.org. Thanks, Jonathan, for that. I love that. Thanks for having me on, Johnny. So yeah. good to be with you, yeah. friend. Yeah, great to be here, too. Thanks.